Chapter Sixteen, Sections Two and Three, of H. B. Bury's *The Students' Roman Empire*, Part One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. *The Students' Roman Empire*, Part One, by John Bucknell Bury, Chapter Sixteen, The Conquest of Britain. Sections 2 and 3. Section 2. Administration and extension of the province under Plotius, Ostorius, and Didius. The true conqueror of Britain was Aulus Plotius, and he remained there until 47 AD as legatus proprietore of the new province. During these years, the progress of the conquest went on chiefly in the west and south. Vespasian and his brother Flavius Sabinus played a prominent part in breaking the resistance of the natives. Vespasian is said to have fought thirty battles during his command in Britain, and to have captured twenty places. One of his chief achievements was the reduction of Vectis, the Isle of Wight. The Romans must also have penetrated to the border of Somersetshire at this period, for there have been found in the Mendip Hills two pigs of lead, with the names of Claudius and his son, dating from the year 49 A.D. In the east, the Iseni, a powerful tribe, who held the regions which, after the English conquest, became East Anglia, submitted to Roman overlordship. It may be said roughly that a line drawn from Aqua Sulis, Bath, to Londinium, passing through Caleva, Silchester, and extended so as to take in Camalodunum, may roughly define the limits of Roman Britain when Plotius was recalled. Plotius received the reward for an ovation, a rare distinction under the empire for anyone not belonging to the imperial family. The successor of Plotius was P. Ostorius Scapula, and immediately on his arrival, Towards the close of the season, he was called upon to subdue a rising of the Iceni. The Iceni were all the more formidable, as their strength had not yet been weakened by war. They instigated the surrounding tribes to take up arms, and choose as a battlefield a place, enclosed by a rude barrier, with a narrow approach and impenetrable to cavalry. Ostorius led the auxiliary troops without the strength of the legions, whose presence in other parts of the country was necessary, against these defences, and attempted to break through them. He equipped the cavalry to do the duty of infantry, and succeeded in forcing the barriers. The rebels, finding escape impossible, fought desperately, and the general's son, Marcus Ostorius, won the civic crown for saving a citizen's life. Those tribes, which were hesitating between war and peace, were quieted by this defeat of the Iseni. But the main work of Ostorius lay in the west. The peoples of the mountainous districts of Wales presented a stubborn resistance to the progress of Roman arms in that direction, and they were organized by the indomitable spirit of Caractacus, who, when his own people, the Trinovantes, were irretrievably overthrown, retreated to the west, and there maintained with vigor and success 
the struggle for British independence. The remains of the British entrenchments in the counties which border on Wales are probably a record of this struggle. Glevum, Gloucester, seems at this time to have become the headquarters of the Second Legion, and Ostorius probably drew a line of forts from this point across country to Camalodunum. Ostorius first attacked the Decangi, an obscure tribe who dwelled probably in the neighborhood of Deva, Chester, and then advanced into the hilly land of the Silures, whose habitation corresponded to Hereford, Monmouth, and South Wales. The position of Viroconium, Roxeter, was occupied as a stronghold against the Ordovices, and became for some time the headquarters of the 15th Legion. The Britons were far inferior in military strength, but Caractacus knew how to take advantage of the intricacies of the country. After a struggle of three years, he changed the scene of war from the land of the Silures northward to the territory of the Ordovices, and thus compelled the Roman army to retrace its steps under great difficulties. 51 AD He then resolved on bringing the war to a final issue. He chose a position for the battle, in which it would be easy for his own forces, and difficult for the Romans, either to advance or retreat, and piled up stone ramparts on some lofty hills, wherever the slope was gentle enough to admit of an approach. A river lay in front of his position, and he drew up his men before the defences. He made a stirring appeal to his followers to recover their freedom, and every warrior swore by the gods of his tribe to shrink neither from the wounds nor weapons. The Roman general was somewhat daunted by the enthusiasm of the foe, the river in front of him, the frowning hills behind, but the soldiers insisted on accepting battle. Having made a careful survey of the assailable points in the enemy's position, Ostorius led his troops across the river without difficulty, and attacked the barrier. As long as it was a fight with missiles, the Romans had the worst of it. But when the testudo was formed, and the soldiers advanced with locked shields, the rude fence was easily thrown down, and the barbarians were forced to retire up the heights. The Romans pursued them, and as the Britons had no defensive armor, their ranks were soon broken. When they turned to oppose the light-armed auxiliaries, the legionaries hewed them down behind with swords and javelins. When they turned round to resist the legionaries, they were attacked by the spears and sabers of the auxiliaries. It was a great and decisive victory. The wife and daughter of Caractacus were immediately captured, his brothers surrendered, and he was soon afterwards taken prisoner through the treachery of Cartimandua, queen of the brigands, to whom he had fled for refuge, and was sent to Rome. His fame was celebrated in Italy, and all were eager to see the hero who had defied the Roman power for nine years. The people of Rome were summoned as to a great spectacle. The praetorian cohorts were drawn up in front of their camp. A procession of the clients of the British prince defiled before the emperor's tribunal. The ornaments and chains of Caractacus, and the spoils which he had won in war with other tribes, were displayed. 
then followed his brothers, his wife, and his daughter. Last of all, the warrior himself. While all the others were called into humility, Caractacus did not seek to move compassion, either by word or look. Claudius pardoned him and his kinsfolk, and the captives, released from their chains, did homage to the emperor and Agrippina, who sat on another throne beside him, although it was an unheard of thing that a woman should sit on the tribunal of the imperator surrounded by the standards. After this solemnity the senate assembled, and laudatory speeches were delivered on the capture of Caractacus, which was compared to the exhibition of Syphax by Scipio, or that of Perseus by Aemilius Paulus. Caractacus was retained, like the Suevian Marobodus, in an honorable custody until his death. Ostorius received the triumphal ornaments. This victory, although decisive, was by no means equivalent to the subjugation of Western Britain. The quarters of the Second Legion were established further west, at Isca Silurum, Carleon on the Ask, to be distinguished from Isca Dumnoniorum, Exeter. And it was exposed there to great dangers, sustaining several serious reverses. At the same time, the great tribe of the brigands in the north, who held all the land north of the Trent, at least as far as the Tyne, displayed signs of hostility to the Romans. Scapula did not long survive his victory. He died in 52 A.D., worn out, it was said, by the troublesome and exhausting warfare against the Silures. During the following six years, under the administration of Aulus Didius Gallus, 52 to 57 A.D., and Veranius, 57 to 58 A.D., the limits of the province do not seem to have been extended. The governorship of Astorius Scapula was also marked by the plantation of the first military colony. The ancient capital of Cunohellinus was chosen to hold somewhat the same position in Britain that Lugudumnum held in Gaul. It is remarkable that this place was preferred to Londinium, which was commercially the most considerable town in Britain. Under Cunobellinus, Camalodunum had assumed an importance eclipsing that of all other British opidui, though still apparently resembling the general type in consisting of a large enclosed tract of some square miles, protected on the east, north, and south by the tidal marshes of the Colne, and its small tributary, still called the Roman River, and on its assailable side, the west, by strong earthworks, in part still traceable, from stream to stream. The official name given to the new colony was Colonia Victrix, and the temple was erected to Claudius, for the purpose of establishing a provincial worship, like that which Augustus had instituted in Gaul. A theatre and other buildings soon sprang up, but like Londonium and Verulamium, it was left unwalled, and inadequately defended. When Didius arrived in the province, he found that one of the legions under Molius Valens had been defeated by the Silurs, who were scouring the country far and wide. Having dispersed them, he was obliged to turn his arms against the brigands. A chief of this tribe, named Venutius, 
was, since the capture of Caractacus, the foremost warrior and the ablest leader in the cause of British independence. He had for many years been faithful to Rome, and had been united in marriage to the Queen Cartimandua. But they quarrelled and were divorced. A domestic war followed, and while the Queen held to the Romans, Venutius changed his attitude to them also. By wily stratagems, Carimantua got into her power the brothers and kinsmen of Venutius, and this led to an invasion of her kingdom by the flower of the British youth. Roman cohorts were sent to the assistance of the queen, and effectually protected her. Desultory warfare seems to have continued during the following years, but no further events of importance are recorded in the governorship of Didius. Veranius, his successor, Anno Domini 58, made some small raids upon the Silures, but was prevented by death from continuing the war. Section 3. Governorship of Suetonius Paulinus. A new advance was made when the able and ambitious Suetonius Paulinus, who had distinguished himself in Mauritania, was appointed legatus in 59 AD. It was he probably who occupied Deva, and made it the quarters of the twentieth legion, the camp, as it came to be called, Castra or Chester. Deva served as a post against North Wales, on the one side, and against the brigands on the other. It is probable that he spent his first two years in subduing the northern parts of Wales, and in 61 AD he pushed forward with the fifteenth legion, to exterminate the druidical worship in its extreme retreat. The British priesthood had retired to the island of Mona, the present Anglesey, where they hoped to be able to protect themselves by the strait. But Suetonius was not foiled. He prepared rafts for the transport of his infantry across the stream, and landed on the shore of the island in the face of a dense array of Britons, while in the background the woman, dressed in black, and with dishevelled hair, brandished torches, and the priests imprecated curses on those who had come to disturb them. Panic seized the Romans, but not for long. The landing was forced, the enemy was utterly rooted, and the sacred groves were cut down or burnt. It was probably in connection with this expedition that Segontium, whose name is still preserved in Caer Seinot, was founded. But while Suetonius was busy in the west, a great insurrection broke out in the east. The Iseni were the ringleaders. This tribe, under its king, Prasutagus, had been suffered, notwithstanding its former revolt, to retain its position of a client tributary state. The heavy exactions imposed by the fiscus, and the violence and insolence of the imperial procurator in levying the dues, excited general discontent. The British communities were compiled to borrow from Roman money-lenders in order to meet these exactions, and Seneca is stated to have directly promoted the rebellion by suddenly calling in his investments. On the death of the king, the land of the Iseni was annexed to the province. Prasutagus had made the emperor his heir along with his two daughters, thinking 
that this compliment would secure his family and his kingdom from injury at the hands of the Romans. But it turned out quite the reverse. The agents of the imperial procurator plundered the house of the dead king on the plea of exacting the inheritance, and treated his family with outrage. His wife, Boadicea, was beaten with stripes, and his daughters were dishonored. His relations were made slaves, and the chief men of the tribe were stripped of their property. The Iseni were roused by these indignities, and the fear of wars, and they found allies in the Trinovantes, who smarted under the violence of the veterans settled at Camalodunum. These colonists drove the natives out of their houses and farms, and the priests, who officiated at the temple of the divine Claudius, levied heavy exactions for the maintenance of the alien worship. The rebels chose a moment at which all the legions were far away, and marched against Camalodunum. The inhabitants pleaded help from the procurator Catus Decianus, who sent a reinforcement of two hundred men without regular arms. But the place was undefended, either by force or by rampart, and secret accomplices in the revolt hindered them from taking fitting precautions. They did not even remove the women and old men, but all took refuge in the temple of Claudius, hoping that succor might come. An immense host of Britons surrounded the place, and the sanctuary was stormed after a siege of two days. All the defenders were put to death with the greatest cruelty. The tidings of the outbreak first reached Petilius Cerealis, the commander of Legion Nine, which, though its station at this moment is not known, was nearest the scene of the revolt. He hurried to attack the insurgents, but in a great battle the infantry was cut to pieces, and only the cavalry escaped. Petilius could not do more than hold his entrenchments until the arrival of Suetonius, who was hastening eastward, with fourteenth legion from Mona, reinforced by the veterans of the twenties, which he picked up at Deva. Legionaries and auxiliaries, in all, his forces amounted to about ten thousand men. He had intended that legion second, stationed at Isca Silurum, should also march eastward in this great emergency. But the commander disobeyed the summons, on the plea, doubtless, of troubles with the Silurs. In order not to dissipate his forces, Suetonius was obliged to leave the important and populous towns of Londinium and Verulamium to the fury and greed of the insurgents, who, having burnt the Claudian colony, were marching about bent on destruction. The movements of the Roman general are very uncertain, but the decisive battle seems to have taken place in the neighborhood of Camalodunum. He chose his own battleground. The position which he selected was approached by a narrow defile and closed at the other end by a forest. In front extended an open plain where there was no danger from ambuscades. In this position he could not be outflanked, or surrounded in the rear, the chief dangers from the superior numbers of the enemy. The legions were drawn up in close array, around them the light-armed cohorts, and the cavalry were massed on to the wings. The army of the Britons, consisting of both infantry and cavalry, 
were confident of victory, and had hampered themselves with their wives, riding in wagons to witness their triumph. Boadicea, a woman of spirit and determination, had blazoned abroad among her people the treatment she had received, and drove about in her chariot, along with her daughters, from tribe to tribe, calling upon her countrymen to throw off the foreign yoke. But in spite of their numbers and their ardor, the Britons experienced a crushing defeat. At first the legion kept its post in the narrow defile, but when the pila, which were hurled with unerring aim on the advancing foe, had been exhausted, they rushed forward in a wedge-like column and broke the British centre. The auxiliaries and the cavalry completed the victory, and the flight of the conquered enemy was impeded by the wagons. Their losses computed at nearly eighty thousand. Boadicea poisoned herself, and the commander of Second Legion, who had disobeyed orders, and thereby kept his troops from sharing the glory of the fourteenth, committed suicide. The number of Roman citizens and allies, who had perished at the hands of the rebels, is stated to have been about seventy thousand, and it was necessary to begin the work of civilization in the eastern districts all over again. Considerable reinforcements arrived from Gaul. The Ninth Legion was recruited again, and the whole army was brought together to stamp out the remaining sparks of rebellion. Suetonius took a terrible vengeance. He wasted the land of the enemy with fire and sword, and the famine which ensued made great havoc among the Iseni. Perhaps at this time the stronghold of Venta Isenorum was established to control the districts north of Camalodunum. Suetonius was a severe ruler. His counsels were always of sternness, never of lenity. Charges of oppression were brought against him by a procurator, and Polycletus, an imperial freedman, was sent to the island to investigate the matter. His decision was practically adverse to Suetonius, who was recalled, 61 A.D., and replaced in the command by Petronius Turpilianus, a man of more conciliatory temper. Under his auspices, southern Britain seems to have become contented with Roman rule. The towns which had been sacked by the Iseni were rebuilt, and soon resumed their former prosperity, Camalodunum as the centre of the Roman administration, and Londinium as the centre of British commerce. By this time, all the most important stations in the province were connected by Roman roads. The two most important roads, Watling Street, leading to the west, and Ermine Street, to the north, through Camalodunum, met at Londinium. The chief seaports were Rutopiae, Ridgeborough, and Portus Lemanis, which preserves its old name as Lumne. It is highly probable that these places, as well as inland centres, such as Calleva, Silchester, near Reading, and Corinium, Kirencester, were already beginning to become centres of Roman civilization. End of chapter 16